before we proceed into today's Draft Deeper podcast, it is with a heavy heart that I have to jump in and, and talk about the fact that one of the prospects that we went over pretty in depth and, and actually celebrated for the majority of his segment, Terrence Clark, unfortunately passed away in a car accident as he was being taken to the hospital on Thursday night, April the 22nd. This podcast is going to go live on Friday, April 23rd. Ab absolutely tragic, horrific event. Our, our thoughts and prayers are absolutely with the Clark family and everyone else around him was absolutely going to be a draft pick in this upcoming 2021 NBA draft had apparently had just come to terms on, on a deal with clutch sports as of yesterday, the 21st. And it, it's tough to even put a lot of this into words. All, all you can do is just talk to those around you, tell them that you love them, everyone who's close to you and, and hug them and, and, and celebrate and appreciate them while you have them. Cause you never know when you can lose a loved one. You never know when tragedy will strike. So I wanted to definitely leave in the conversation that I have with Chase Campbell, a longtime Kentucky follower of the program, was a reporter with the University of Kentucky's newspaper. That's a big reason why I wanted to have him on this podcast, and you'll hear his introduction and more of his background as you listen to the episode. But I, I wanted to leave in our conversation about Clark because I, I think it's a gives everyone a good idea and a good picture of who he was the very least as a basketball player and the type of promise and potential that he did have. I think that's that's a good tribute to the legacy that he ultimately leaves behind the promise and the potential that he had as a basketball player. And, and I didn't know Terrence personally, obviously, but I would assume that he was a much better young man than he even was a basketball player. So I hope everyone enjoys the, this podcast. And again, our thoughts and prayers are, are with the Clark family. Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me, as always, every week is my producer, Kevin Black. My co-host, Cole Miller, is unfortunately not with us this week. But our, our streak of incredible guests continues because I wanted to do a podcast about all of the Kentucky prospects that we have coming out this year because that's kind of the content that's flowing out on the website this week. By the time you're listening to this, hopefully we do have a few of those profiles up. I ran into some technical difficulties and some things on my end, so I apologize. I haven't gotten anything up yet, but they will all be out this week. Don't worry. Likely starting with Isaiah Jackson, who is the prospect that we're eventually going to get into first on this podcast. But being that it's a Kentucky week, I couldn't think of anyone better to have on than someone from the overstated NBA group. Obviously, my audience is very familiar with that podcast because Brett and Jacob have been able to come on. Hopefully, they'll be on again in the near future. And one of these days, we're going to get that that 
rascal Steve to come on as well. But Chase Campbell from that group. Chase, how are you doing, my friend? Are you ready to talk some Kentucky hoops? As always, I am I am absolutely thrilled to talk to talk Kentucky. It's been it's been a while uh since I've gotten to really sit down and, and talk Kentucky with someone, so it'll be good. So I guess the only rightful way to start off this podcast is to kind of fill my audience in about why I would have come to you to talk about Kentucky in the first place. How have you been connected to and been following the program for, for some of these years here? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I am, I'm from Kentucky. I'm from Louisville. Um, my whole family's from there. Um, and so I, I grew up, we were all Kentucky all the way through, but the, the, way I started really getting in, into the program and into the player evaluation, you know, side of it and having to analyze players, I, I ended up going to Kentucky and um, was a, was a sports editor for the, the school paper, the Kentucky Colonel. So I covered the team for uh, two seasons. It was for uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander's 2017, 18 season. And then the Keldon Johnson, Tyler hero, PJ Washington, uh, 18, 19 season. Um, so was with them every step of the way, kind of, you know, got, got to know all of them. And, um, so as a, as a person who for their whole life has paid attention to Kentucky, I'm very excited. (laughs) So clearly I don't even have to add anything else. You're obviously qualified to talk about Kentucky basketball. You're qualified to talk about the game of basketball in general. If anyone isn't a part of that overstated group on Facebook, please look it up please join because we're always talking hoops in there and you're generally going to find Chase giving an intelligent quip about something related to the game or he's dropping some of the hottest breaking news to happen in the NBA in that group. Obviously, that's more of a a NBA-related group or topic space, but there are some people like me who try and bring scouting quips into the discussion field any chance we get. So with that being said... Let's hop right into talking about some of these guys, starting with uh, the the prospect who would be the highest in terms of my evaluation grades, the the player who I think that you're more excited to talk about, Chase, out of the group this year, and that's Isaiah Jackson. So 6'10", power forward prospect, versatile defender, known known the most for his defense, can potentially guard in time as long as he keeps adding to not necessarily his body, because I don't think he's going to fill out the best among some of these other big prospects in the class. But as long as he continues to add to his strength base, he's one of three guys in my mind that I could envision potentially guarding at the very least in a pinch positions one through five in this draft class. Now, first of all, that's rarefied air to begin with in terms of any basketball player we could evaluate on the defensive end. But the fact that we could have three of those guys in this draft class, the other two in my mind being Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes, that puts Jackson in in rare company already. Uh, Very athletic, springy forward prospect. One of the best athletes in the entire draft class, certainly one of the quickest bigs at his position from end to end. Uh, Really, really impressive physical prospect who stands out among the crowd he even stood out. I, I think his his coming out party was when Kentucky was hosting some of those workouts and they televised some of those drills. And you could just tell right away that his athleticism, he popped off the screen and that he was going to have an impact this year at Kentucky one way or the other. 
Um, in, in my mind, and, and by the time you're listening to this podcast, hopefully I do have the Isaiah Jackson profile out on the website, draftdeeper.com. But he got off to a little bit of a slow start in my mind and from what I was able to watch from an effort standpoint. And what I mean by that is that somebody of his caliber of speed and transition athlete should constantly be rim running as hard as he can, applying pressure on the defense in transition, and in turn getting back to be able to impact plays on the other end. And you didn't see that level of hustle and awareness from him at the start of the season, but as the year went on, he eventually got better in those areas and a lot of his physical tools and talents were able to shine more than they did from the start of the year. And, and, and I love seeing growth during the season from a prospect. And Jackson's one of those rare guys where you can look at him and say, as long as he gives effort and he hustles and his motor is active and he's making some of the right reads and he's aware to what's going on, that if he positions himself well, the physical tools can kind of take care of the rest, right? And you can't, you can't always say that about a player coming out into the draft where he can just impact the game right away from an athletic standpoint, as long as he's like somewhat in the right space and he just hustles. So that to me stands out right away about Jackson, but Chase, I'll give it up to the Kentucky guy here. What, what has Jackson done in your mind this past year to stand out among his peers? And how do you view him as a prospect who's going to be able to come in and translate to the NBA game. Yeah, so Jackson's Jackson's probably my most well I I like Jackson the most out of this Kentucky group. <laughs> um only because it's so it's so damn fun to watch him. He flies like you were saying his his speed and his bounce are unbelievable. Um as you're talking about what he's going to bring to an NBA floor. I mean, day 1 whatever team he's on, it's going to be vertical spacing. Um now the issue with that becomes, well, if that's all he provides, then you're kind of playing four on five on offense. If someone is sagging off on him, he's going to have to get a more reliable jumper than he has. Um, Cal notoriously does not make his big shoot threes a lot unless it's Wynion Gabriel or Derek Willis. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jackson's going to have to fill out on the offensive end to be able to get enough time on the floor to play the awesome defense that he can play and to get all of those reps. Um, but Jackson's fun. He's an athletic freak, like you were saying. Um, and the thing that stood out to me is that as you were talking about effort over the second half of the season, Kentucky played in some really, really ugly, terrible, terrible games. Um, and the kind of constant was that, okay, when, when Jackson is on the floor, you're going to get some really thunderous block shots. You're going to get a couple transition possessions. Um, He's going to create those kind of out of thin air in a game that would normally be just a a disgusting rock fight. So that's the kind of energy that he's going to have to bring whatever NBA team he's on. Um, But because of his just raw athleticism, his motor and his really good ability to actually to track the ball in the air. um, He got really good at that over the second course over the back half of the season. I mean, um, yeah, he's he's just an athletic specimen. Uh, and a whole, whole lot of fun to watch. He's going to be a lot of fun for whatever NBA team drafts him. He's not a sure thing uh, as far as, like, he's he's not 
for sure going to develop that offensive game because he had a, a lot of chances to do it. But again, that could be the whole Kentucky. They look like they can't play a lick of offense and then they start dropping 25 for their NBA team. Um, I don't know if Jackson's that guy. I'd say probably not right now, but he's going to have an immediate impact on, on the defensive end um, and certainly generate a few highlights while he's at it. So one of the guys, or I guess I should say the main guy that I would compare him to in my mind when watching him this year uh, was Precious Achua coming out of Memphis. Uh, another guy who was this, this 6'9", 6'10", big man prospect. He, he came out of high school playing a lot of the three, but ended up at Memphis finding a home at the five spot and could change a game defensively because of his raw athleticism as well. Not the same speed that, that Jackson has. Jackson is a quicker forward. Um, I, I'd, I'd venture to say he's a better vertical spacer, as you alluded to, and a vertical leaper as well. But they, they, they affect the game in the same ways because they're these switchable big men who are raw offensively, don't really have a lot of skill there, definitely need to build on their technique and how they approach the game from, from multiple areas. Like, for example, I, I found examples of Jackson being able to post somebody up and go to like a hook shot and, and, and get a few points in the post, but then you'll watch some of his other post-ups and he doesn't have that technique. Like uh, unless he has a low enough spot near the basket and he's, he's sealed off his man well enough, like if he has to try and post somebody up from anywhere outside of like three feet to the basket, he doesn't really use his lower body really well. He doesn't get low in his stance trying to hold somebody off. And maybe that's just a strength thing. As we've already kind of said that like he definitely needs to add strength to his body with how much muscle he can add. That remains to be seen. But from from a technique standpoint on his post-up, from a technique standpoint that when he's boxing out, trying to keep people off the glass and, and corral some of those rebounds, um, he, he has some technical things that he has to work on. The bright spots, you mentioned he needs to build out some of his outside game. The good news is that when he did take some mid-range jump shots, they looked good. And his free throw stroke also looks pretty good for someone his size. So those, to me, are positives that really stand out and give him a case and give him enough skills to work with to be able to build out as he gets more time on the playing court. Now, I mentioned the Precious Achua comp because Precious has had his moments for the Miami Heat this year, but he hasn't gotten like a ton of playing time unless somebody's been out of the lineup or somebody gets in foul trouble and he needs to come in. And I kind of view Jackson translating to the league, at least right off the bat, in the same way. He, I don't think he's going to be a starter anywhere off the bat. He, he's going to be a guy who can come off the bench. It's not like he needs to go down to the G League and, and improve on that front by any means but he's not going to be this guy who's relied upon and that's okay because as long as he continues to learn the game shore up some of those technical faults that I see with him I think he's going to be a, an impact player and, and I really see a bright future for him one that as I said on another podcast earlier this year I kind of had him flagged as as somebody at the start of the year where I would say okay this guy deserves attention he could be a potential lottery pick and as the season went along, there were a few games where he got into foul trouble. Obviously, some of those technical aspects that I pointed out gave him a little trouble. And it, it wasn't really like a complete package, I can't say, at any point during the season. But as you mentioned, he's just so fun of a player to watch. When, when things do click for him, he pops off the screen. He's electric. And that athleticism will translate 
from day one. So I, I'm definitely excited for him to come out. Chase, would you have any problem choosing him in the lottery or, or would you have some hesitancy toward that? Where are you kind of at in terms of where you feel he should be drafted? I know you're not like a scout scout, but certainly I respect your, your basketball opinion enough. I think you have a good grasp on where you think guys should go and, and their value in terms of the draft pick that you have in your hands. Where would you be comfortable taking him? Yeah, absolutely. If I felt that I had the depth at his position, to you know let him work out mistakes and it not kill us usually kind of those later lottery teams if i've got a couple forwards on um probably a veteran that can teach him some of those you know fundamental deals probably a late lottery um i would be a little hesitant about it um but i i wouldn't i wouldn't have an issue with it um picking him there especially if i have the foundation to give him the tools to be successful cuz you know there are a lot of teams that'll, that'll pick these raw players um, and just kind of say, well, we'll develop them. Eventually they'll get there and we'll put work into it. But if you don't have the resources on hand, then that's how a player like that can kind of fall through. And you don't want to do that with a uh, player as physically gifted as, as Jackson is. He, he, he really feels like he's going to go to the Oklahoma city thunder. Uh, the God, that's a very thunder. Like yes. Players. That's a very thunder <laughs> pick. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I think Brett wouldn't mind at all being able to watch him and Baisley tear it up in the front court together. I no, think not that, at that all. might be happy. So mo moving past Jackson, we come to a guy who was a lot more heralded than Jackson coming out of high school. And that was Brandon Boston Jr. Um, when, when you looked at preseason draft boards, he shot up out of nowhere at one point, like late in the summer, like for someone who was projected to be like this late lottery talent, all of a sudden you, you started seeing him on boards as high as number two. And it, it made me go back and, and, and say, holy crap, like what am I missing with this guy? I definitely need to go back and dig a little deeper in some of the high school film that I have access to. And I need to see why this guy is all of a sudden just cratering up boards. And when you go back and watch, he was very technical as a scorer in high school. When you go back and watch some of the scoring moves he had in the half court, he, he pretty much had every trick in the book, and he was comfortable getting to those spots. But the, the, the commonality that you run into is that everything he did was set up based on his ability to dribble, drive, and attack the paint and, and, and get a look at the basket. And that kind of set up some of his dribble moves and some of his craft from the perimeter and he, he's definitely one of those guys that is a lot more natural of a scorer after he sees a shot go through the basket, right? Like he, he gets, a few, gets a few points on the board, gets to the foul line, sees the ball go through the rim a few times, and then he's a lot more comfortable trying different things out from the perimeter. That's and... a very kind way to say he struggles with confidence, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you certainly saw that right from the start of the season, though, when he, obviously he's not the biggest guy kind of like Jackson. He's obviously going to need to put as much weight on his body as he can in, in a healthy manner and definitely add to his strength base. But he was listed at six, seven, one eighty-five. So you already knew that he was going to be a light wing coming into this year at Kentucky. And those struggles when, when he couldn't get to the same spots around the basket that he could in high school, as you just said, it, it stripped away his confidence from like 10 feet and out to the point where he wasn't even able to make open jumpers for, for, for quite a while. Now, now, to his credit, 
I think he found different ways and different angles to attack the basket at. And he got he got a lot better at setting himself up for easier looks from the perimeter. Like I feel like he he got himself into better open jump shot looks as the year went on and he started to figure out how he could fit into the offense off the ball, not necessarily operating with the ball in his hands all the time. A lot of what he was able to do in high school, sharing spots where he had the ball between him and, and, and Zaire Williams out at Sierra Canyon. And he, he ended up finding a better home in an off-ball role and probably had his best offensive game in their last game of the year against South Carolina, which if, if you're a, an NBA scout and you're looking at Boston's cases, okay, he was this lottery-level guy who definitely struggled at multiple points throughout the year, fell down the draft board, but eventually picked himself up by his bootstraps and had some standout performances toward the end of the year. Clearly, he started to figure some things out and get better, and now he's coming into the draft. And sure, he may not be this awesome like top-five pick that he potentially could have been should everything worked out for him, but he has the guts to still put his name in the draft and try to get himself into a better situation, into a professional setting where he can continue to improve on some of his games. So, Chase, as a Kentucky fan and a follower, what were your expectations for Boston? How hard did those expectations fall throughout the year? And what do you think he needs to do to kind of get himself back in the NBA good graces here as we move into the draft period? Well, so I, I want to preface this with the fact that Boston probably had one of the hardest, like in relative in relation to his expectations, one of the most difficult roads through the college season that I could ever imagine for anybody. Um, the only other player on his team that had ever suited up for Kentucky before was not playing the first half of the season. Uh, one of his teammates was suspended for two games and it seemed like the whole team was in meltdown and and the entire Kentucky fan base kind of aimed it at at you know this 18 19 year old kid yep. who uh was coming out with with all of these expectations with having just shot up the draft boards uh so that's a lot and I I and I want to appreciate the fact that that's a lot um now during the summer those summer workouts that you mentioned especially um kind of their weird televised big blue madness kind of deal. <laughs> um, Boston Potts, he was cool. Um, and in that kind of low pressure setting, you saw all of those pieces. You saw the outside shot coming when he's relaxed. He's really, really fluid, um, you know, comes off screens and, and looks when he looks relaxed and he's playing at his own pace, that kid's great. Um, and, and there's something very, very real there. The problem came when he started getting overwhelmed, um, and you kind of saw it right off the bat against Richmond. You know that game against uh, the Spiders. It was kind of landed on Davion Mintz to try to salvage that game. It didn't end up happening, but Boston was overwhelmed in a hurry, and the expectations just kind of came crashing around him. Clark missed the whole second part of the year, and and kind of that on-ball initiator role that they wanted for him didn't come. He transitioned that off-ball, like you said, and did better, but the confidence just fell through the floor so fast um, in probably the hardest year he could have had. But 
there's a really good player in there. I think whoever drafts him is going to end up getting a steal most likely. I don't know if he's positioning himself for that intentionally, uh, but whoever drafts him, if they can kind of get him to break out of that mental game he plays with himself, because his his primary issue, and Cal's talked about this before, and, and I agree with him, is that his brain wants to do things that his body cannot do yet, yep. either because he's not strong enough or because he doesn't have the step on college defenders, on, on adults like he thought he did. Um, and his brain wants to go ahead and do all the things he did in high school. And when it's not as easy, it kind of shuts off and he keeps trying it. And that's how you end up with all those three for 14, four for 12 games um, from the floor that just kind of looks like he was throwing up whatever because he looked panicked. Um, And that happened a lot. Uh, But towards the back half of the year, like you said, got it way more under control. Um, Played some pretty solid defense. I think that was one of the bigger jumps. Um, for him that helped him a lot, creating easy chances on the defensive end. Like you said, he has, you know, that size, kind of a big wing, but doesn't mind initiating the offense. Um, kind of guy who did a really good job helping his teammates out when his shot was not falling. Uh, and that that was kind of the biggest jump from the beginning of the year to the end for him is, is ultimately what's going to help him at the next level. Yeah, to me, he he definitely seems like someone who you need to play things slow with. You need to get him to adjusted to the speed of the NBA game because not only was he not physically suited the best to kind of operate in some ways on the court like his mind was telling him to, kind of like you said, but also the the way that he processed the game, it, it took him quite a while to get used to that off-ball role and get him looking at other ways to score the basketball instead of just standing in the corner and waiting for the ball to to move around and him catch it in the corner and get a jump shot up like for example on synergy stats like he didn't even register enough cut attempts to rank uh, uh, uh by their stat metric system which that to me like that says that he's not moving that he he definitely was like a deer in headlights at times. You mentioned that Richmond game. I'm not trying to be mean, Chase, because I actually really like watching Kentucky. But I, I've I've never seen a team dismantle Kentucky the way that Richmond did. Like that that was a brutal game, and I, I apologize that you even had to watch that as a longtime supporter and a fan, because that man that 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 was tough to watch for for somebody who, like I said, I, I've like I've enjoyed watching Calipari and some of these Kentucky teams throughout the years, but that was brutal to watch. But from that game and certainly in other points in the season, Boston just looked like a deer in headlights, and he didn't look like he knew what to do and how to operate. So when you consider things from that perspective, that maybe the basketball IQ isn't quite where we thought it would be. Obviously he needs to develop physically. If you're drafting him chase in the NBA, what would you do with him from a developmental standpoint? Would you try and and, and keep him on an NBA team's roster right away, get him as many reps off the bench as possible to maybe try to, build that confidence up that way and get him slowly adjusted? Or would you just put him right in the G League, give him an opportunity to potentially start in the G League and, and let that coaching staff, let that level of a coaching staff try and, and, and break everything down from a confidence and a mental standpoint from day one and then eventually try and build him up over time 
against that level of competition versus just throwing them against NBA guys right away despite the role? I think most likely I would um, want him to play some time in the G League. I don't know if I would want him to play a whole year in the G League. Mm-hmm. Um, and and obviously, as with Jackson, it depends, you know, on the resources that you have. Yep. You know, how how good is your staff in the G League? Because there's there's a really wide disparity down there. You know, is it am I getting him with the Raptors or am I getting him with another team? I won't be mean to. Um, and it it depends on those resources, but I want him to get as many reps against really smart adults that are going to challenge him. Um, And if that's not in the NBA, if he's, you know, straight up tanking games when he's out there, then he can't be out there. Mm -hmm. Um, But I want him to get as many of those reps as possible. I want to just keep putting him through it over and over again and watch him succeed a few times and, you know, kind of tell him, look, this is, this is the guy that you are. You know, we know you're that guy. This is not a, a demotion to have you in the G league. You know, this, you're an incredibly, incredibly talented guy and we need you to just keep playing these guys and keep hitting your head against this wall and it's okay. And eventually you're going to get through it. Um, because that's, you know, the main thing right now is just him trying to get through that big mental block of finding other ways to be the player that he's going to be because he's incredibly talented. Yeah. And, and that to me, that that's why I think the G league would be a better answer for him. Albeit, yeah, maybe not for the entire year, but definitely have him down there for at least a period of time and let him get reps on a starting unit with the ball in his hands against that level of competition and let that coaching staff kind of break everything down. Because yeah, if you're going to get, the return on your investment from Boston and you're going to bring that player out of him that, that I agree. Like, I, I think that player's still in there. You and I both see that with him. If you're going to get that player to come out, he has to be effective with the ball in his hands, doing more than just being this situational off ball threat. And that to me is the way that you're going to drag that out of him is if you're going to throw him into the fire in the G league, let him start down there, let him get as many reps as possible so that he can, come back up and, and, and find himself on an NBA bench. And when he gets into those games, he's not just this situational catch and shoot guy. He can do a little bit more on an NBA floor and just kind of let him build that confidence back up slowly. So I think you and I are both in, in the same relative boat with, with that one for Boston. But yeah, I, I never wanted to give up on him. I never wanted to, to, drop him down like a draft board or have him fall that low on a tier system to begin with because the talent that he displayed in high school like that doesn't just like evaporate overnight right like it's one of those weird cases like like the whole Markel Fultz thing for example obviously two different stories but like you don't just give up on a player who shows that they're as talented as as they are overnight right like you have to find different ways to develop their skill sets so they can get to a point where they can operate in at least one to two different areas on an NBA floor that you saw them potentially being able to operate when you were evaluating them, be it in high school or in college. So that's what I see from Boston. That's what that's what I would do with them. And I still think there's a bright future for the young man. And, and, and speaking of another wing with a bright future, what was on their team, got hurt, through after about, I want to say like eight games in the season. So he didn't have a lot of playing time with the Kentucky Wildcats. But Terrence Clark was one of those 
elite level athletic wings coming out of high school. And I think the the majority of the damage he did at the high school level was being like this, this score first wing, not necessarily having the, the mindset or being put into a role to make plays for others. Yet that was the role that Calipari ended up throwing him into before he got hurt because that team just didn't have a solid point guard, right? Like, like Davion Mintz, for, for as experienced that he is as a guard and being able to conduct himself from a maturity standpoint on a college floor, at the end of the day, he's a shooter, and that should be his responsibility within the offense. Devin Askew was the guy who was pointed at and say, okay, you're going to be our point guard. You're going to be our leader. But he was another one of those guys where when he had the ball in his hands, and he couldn't get to some of his spots inside the arc. Again, he was like a deer in headlights. He didn't know how to operate and get everyone else involved in, in, in the rest of those offensive possessions. So you put the ball in the hands of the, of the wiggly athlete who always found a way to get to a spot and either go up for a shot or get somebody else involved. Like he may not be a true point guard, but you got to put the ball in the hands of your, your best chance to, to get something to happen in the best way possible on offense. And, and that's why Clark ended up being the initiator for that team. Now, there are a lot of people out there, more people than I thought, who would point to him as this low IQ ball handler. And I actually did not think that was the case. Like, And, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, Chase. I'll get your thoughts in a second. But when I watched Clark with the ball in his hands at, at different points through his stretch, I thought he played at the best pace of any of those young guys. Like, he never seemed to be overly sped up, or he wasn't making mistakes out of pure, like, he wasn't able to process the game at a certain speed. Everything was too fast for him. Like, that's not where the mistakes came to me. A, a lot of the turnovers, some of the offensive fouls, the the charges that the defense ended up drawing on him, like those to me just seemed like mental mishaps that, that any young guy could have. But I, I didn't see the level of fear or or the the inability to do something on the offensive end for Clark in the same way that I saw from like a Boston or an Askew that he was that raw. What What were some of your thoughts on Terrence Clark as you were able to to watch him throughout the season chase. Well yeah, he certainly does not lack for confidence. I agree with you there. Um he he definitely has a belief in himself and it, it shows in his body language when he plays. Um he has he has the same cons, the same negatives as uh as Jason Tatum still does. And I'm not comparing the two players. But when I see him make his mistakes, I was like, oh, I saw you know Tatum make that mistake a million times. Um, is that if he has this belief that he can break down his player, he will keep trying to do it uh, until the possession dies or he scores. Um, and that happened a lot. And like you said, he he only played around ten games in the season. Was not very much. Got hurt and didn't really end up getting a chance to you know, kind of work that out of his game. It makes me kind of concerned uh, if he does commit to this, you know, to the NBA, that it's going to be difficult to have an NBA coach break that out of him. I don't think it's impossible. Um, but he certainly does have kind of the, the tunnel vision issue. Um, on the other hand, he is, he was the only player with both the physical gifts and the confidence to earn the right to have tunnel vision sometimes. Yep. Um, so you kind of take the good with the bad there for a college team as a prospect, 
um, you know, his ability to get free, his ability to get to spots, his space creation, it's all good. Um, you just, you got to have him have his head up sometimes um, and, you know, be also looking for others as part of the play he wants to make for himself if it, if it starts to break down. He doesn't have that yet. It's not impossible for him to get it. Well, so he's probably a neg- negative as a passer right now, but if he can get to even a pretty normal, I think probably expected for any NBA guard level of, okay, if I start a drive to the basket, if I get this guy on my hip and someone steps up to help and there's rotation happening behind, you know, what do I do in those situations? How do I make those reads as well as be able to score if they sag back or if they don't help? Being able to make that decision and include the others as an option, I think is going to open up so much for him. So there's there's a really good player right now. Right now, he is uh, someone that watches a lot of N1 mixtapes. I don't. He's probably too young for those, actually. Um, but probably did at some point because he has a whole lot of confidence in his handle, and it's a good handle. Um, don't know if it's going to work in the NBA quite how he wants it to, so he's going to have to be able to make those reads, um, make those cuts, work off the ball a little bit because he doesn't have that um, – kind of explosive first step of a lead guard you'd want penetrating a defense, but certainly as a secondary ball handler uh, and as a scorer, you, he, there's a very good player in there. Yeah. And, and when you're evaluating wings or guards and you, you break down, how do they get to their spots? What do they do when they get there? How are they able to potentially counter a defensive move or a defensive stance? Like what are they able to do when something breaks down? And you don't find as many wings or guards with like that slippery type of step or or, or movement with the ball in his hands as you might think. And Clark has that. Like it's not to the level of somebody like Shea Gilgis Alexander. But that was just who I was going to uh, say. That is the last player I saw that quality, and not not to as high of a degree. Obviously, by the time they were getting to the back end of that SEC schedule, obviously Shea was blowing by everybody but is is that kind of similar kind of funky offbeat way of getting to the basket exactly and like when when i watched shay back in high school like when he was part of that draft class he was the point guard and there were some other good point guards in, in that class or at least before the season started we thought that there were going to be some good point guards but shay was the one that i wanted to watch the most because he made some movements or he made like some of these dribbled or counter moves where you can't exactly explain how they happened, but he just got from point A to point B. Whether you could explain it or not, he just made something happen. And I view Clark at some points in in like the same way, obviously, as we both said, not as polished in that respect, but he has some of that similar movement and wiggle to his game that just, it's not ordinary. And that's why he was probably as confident of a scorer with the ball in his hands as he was, because I think that he has that little bit of cockiness in the back of his head. Like (laughs) I can do some things that some of these other guys can't do. Watch this. Now, whether that's the best decision at that time, sometimes it was, sometimes it wasn't, but he had the ability and obviously the confidence, as you said, to make something happen when nobody else could make something happen or, your initial play wasn't there, broke down, you got to make something happen anyways, right? So that's why I liked Clark when when he was playing. I liked him better than Boston 
despite how I had viewed Boston coming into the season, because from a skill standpoint and how technical and crafty he was in high school, I thought that that was going to translate better than it did. Obviously, we talked about how it didn't, but do you think that there's a chance that Clark ends up being the better NBA player than Boston and he unlocks something that you and I both see at least a little bit of it is there? Or do you think he kind of fades as this like athletic wing who never quite figure out how to operate on the ball as well as he should have on an NBA floor and kind of fades off into this like three and D with the occasional athletic pop, similar to kind of like a Hami Diallo when he came out of Kentucky, which, which path or, or maybe a third path that I'm not even laying out chase. Do you think he could take in the NBA? So I'm thinking Clark with how much he really likes his own handle. And that's not, you know, a, a disparaging comment at all. It's, it's good to have confidence. Um, I think there is an option for him um, to become someone like like Lou Williams with a little more pop. He likes to dance, um, and he likes those really unorthodox ways of getting to the basket. I think that's somebody in my mind that I can see Clark becoming. Now, there are weaknesses to Williams' game that Clark won't have, certainly on the defensive end. Um, with his athleticism, he should be able, uh, it's reasonable to expect him to stay with NBA, um, kind of smaller wings, big guards. Um, but I think, and it, it all depends on Boston's ability to kind of get past his own head, Boston should be the better NBA player. It's certainly possible for Clark to be better by way of, you know, his his confidence and his drive getting through. Um but right now, I certainly expect Boston to be the better player. You you alluded to something about his defense, which I hadn't even brought that up myself, but that is a bright spot in Clark's game is that he rated out in the 93rd percentile in terms of total defense in those eight games that he played because of his athletic ability, his his shiftiness, his lateral foot speed. He can contain bigger guards, as you said, or smaller wings. And that at least gives him an area that's not on offense that he can hang his hat on a little bit. And that's a way that he can earn minutes on an NBA floor where if his offensive game isn't quite as refined as you might like it to be from day one, you can at least get him on the floor, have him guard somebody on a second unit to a point where he's having a positive impact and once you at least establish that he can play however many minutes on an NBA floor, then he can start building out some of those offensive skills that you and I both think are there. Um, and, and, and that's a big reason why if I were drafting between Clark and Boston, I think I would actually draft Clark ahead of Boston. And, and I don't really have um, a good feel in terms of like where the community's at on that level of a potential hot take or not. But I have a lot more confidence in how I think Clark's game can translate immediately from day one, whereas Boston, I think, is more of a long-term project just because we know what he has to overcome from a physical standpoint. Obviously, we need to get his confidence up. And yeah, there's a skill base that that's there that's really intriguing from high school. I just think that uh, unless you're confident, as we both alluded to, that you have a developmental system in place, you have the right coaches to take on that challenge of bringing that level of game back out of Boston and helping him get up to speed and be that potential star level player like he was in high school. 
then you might be better off going with more of a sure thing and an athletic specimen in his own right, somebody like a Terrence Clark. That That's just my two cents on the argument. But yeah, I, w- I was impressed with, with Clark, I think more than a lot of other people and, and scouts were, and, and, and that's fine. Like I, I like having a different opinion than, than the general public. I like putting myself out there and just not worrying about what other people are saying and just breaking down the tape and evaluating the player for who they are and what they could potentially be. And, and, and I, I'm a Clark fan. So I, 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 very I, fun. I, 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 one more thing before we move off of, of Clark, he actually, he reminds me a lot. Um, and, and he could kind of fill into this role. If, if Tyrese Maxey was raised as a wing, I think it probably looks a little bit like Terrence Clark. Um, kind of that similar on-ball defensive drive, um, the desire to use their own handle to get to the cup. You know, Maxi, you know, as as a Philly fan, I know you've watched Maxi kind of this year. Um, those secondary ball handler moves, those relay passes that Maxi is getting better at, I think that's something that Terrence Clark, if he finds a system like that, can really fill into that role. That's probably a, a rookie that he's looking at and and going, okay, I can do that. I, I can do what he's doing. Oh, if you, if you get Clark with, with that level of athleticism to catch up to Maxi from a skill standpoint in terms of the passing and the ball movement that he's displayed this year, oh, <laughs> I'm like 150% in at, at that point. Like, I'm, I'm already in on Terrence Clark. But if you tell me that, like, he can start pulling off some of that, like... Well, so I think that's the that's the primary difference. You know, Maxi was raised as a, as a lead guard, and so that's going to be a gap. Um you know, for Clark that he's going to have to overcome. But if, if Tyrese Maxey was raised as a wing, he probably looks like Terrence Clark. And, and that's why it, we, we suffer, at least I suffer from where I'm at because I'm not able to interview and get to know a lot of these prospects personally. I'm not able to go to a workout, at least right now, because of a lot of different things that are going on and protocols that have to be in place. Like, I would love to, to talk to Terrence Clark and get to know him a little bit and see how far along he is from like a basketball IQ standpoint. Hopefully Mike Schmitz does like a video breakdown with him or something that we can at least get that much in a public space, like on a YouTube video or something like that. Because yeah, if Clark is a hard worker, if he's a good natured kid, if he's willing to take the steps and put in the work that he needs to, to get better at some of those things. And he, he enjoys watching film and he, and he loves watching film. Then, then yeah, the sky could be the limit for him in like an initiator type role because yeah, I, I didn't think that he did the worst job on the court when the keys were handed to him unexpectedly to begin with. So I, I think that there's definitely a lot of upside for him there and, and moving past Clark, we'll, we'll get to our final prospect that we were going to talk about today. Someone who didn't play on Kentucky this year, but was on Kentucky last year who led UCLA to one hell of a final four run. Um, and, and gave a lot of teams fits. That was Johnny Juzang, the the six six wing prospect. Who, when he was coming into Kentucky, I really liked him because of his shooting ability at that size. And I thought that he was just going to be that that next off ball guard to come in. He, he, he was able. He's going to be able to shoot the ball. You didn't quite know what else he had in his bag, but at some point he was going to get in a workout and he was going to fly up a draft board he was just going to be the next one of those guys that we seem to get from Kentucky every year or every other year and that wasn't the case he wasn't able to get on the court as much as he probably should have been for Kentucky at that time Um, and he took his talents elsewhere and good for him because he found a home for his scoring ability 
and we we knew from day one that he was going to be a, a really good shooting prospect at that size, potentially lights out from three. And if he was able to bring some of the other things together about a scoring package inside the arc, that he was going to become a fully fledged prospect. Um, and in my mind, he never wasn't a prospect. Even when he transferred and he kind of slid off of other people's radars and he suited up for UCLA, I thought to myself at the beginning of the year, like, okay, this is going to be really interesting to see him with another group of guys in a, a system that could definitely fit what he does better. And I also wanted to see him play under somebody like Mick Cronin, who is one of my favorite coaches to, to pay attention to in college basketball, because it, actually for, for a similar reason to why I like watching Cal is because Cal gets the best out of his guys from, from an effort standpoint generally, and from a defensive standpoint, most importantly, like, like Cal takes groups of players who had never played together and he ends up having them play cerebral defense by year's end and, and, and ready to, to get on some of these tournament runs that they've been on when he's, since he's been at Kentucky and Cronin approaches the game in a very similar way. He likes guys to, to bring effort and competitiveness first and foremost, and then they work on defensive principles, and eventually they, they kind of let the offense figure itself out with some of the easier concepts that they run to get themselves into different sets. Um, and, and it got to the point where Juzang became this isolation heavy score that they could go to that between like him and like Tiger Campbell, like, like they weren't even running a, a, a lot of, a lot of offensive concepts like they 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 kind of just put the ball in their hands cleared everybody out to the weak side of the floor and just let them go to work from an iso standpoint and, and juzang really showed some stuff like I, I didn't know that he had some of those moves in his bag that he did being able to back somebody down in the post go to a fadeaway jumper um even off the ball like like coming off of a screen uh like an easy pin down and, and get a shot up and, and kind of hit it with ease like I didn't realize that he had some of that in his bag, that, that he was attentive to be able to move around the court and into different spots, that, that he was able to get to some of his spots off of a dribble move, like a one-two dribble pull-up, and just make it look so easy. Uh, he surprised me there. Now, obviously, I have some defensive concerns about him um, that I'm not quite ready to, to shoot him up a draft board or, or, or a tier system, kind of like some other people have. Like, like I've heard some people say that he's a lottery pick. And while I view him as a potential first round talent, I'd probably still grade him out as like an early second rounder. There's obviously something there. And I think if he went back to UCLA for another year, then he definitely could emerge in that like mid to late first round conversation. Absolutely. So um, I want to get your thoughts, Chase, because I listed off so many things that I liked about his game at UCLA, but he was at Kentucky first. What were your expectations for, for Juzang coming into Kentucky? And what's your personal opinion on, on why you don't think it worked out if you have one? So the expectation was similar to yours. Is he's, he's coming in to be the shooter. He's coming in to, you know, as Kentucky keeps pounding the paint with whatever big post muscle they have as the lead guard kind of penetrates, you know, over and over again as, as Maxi is quickly get to the rim. Um, you know, Juzang's there as kind of the, the release valve, and if he gets hot, you know, make five threes or whatever. The issue, at least in, in my mind and from what I watch, became that, one, his defense probably was not enough to keep him on the Not probably. It was not enough to keep him on the floor. Mm -hmm. um, because like you said, Kentucky's first and foremost a, a defensive school. Um, and so if, if you aren't defending, if you're getting blown by all the time, 
if there is a better option on the bench, Cal's going to go to it if you continue to struggle defensively, which Juzang does. But at the same time, he didn't, I mean, he wasn't able to kind of play through those warts because Cal did have those other options. And, uh, you know, Juzang never shot well enough to also overcome that. Um, he shot fine. And there were games where you really saw, you know, that really sweet shooting stroke that he was recruited for. Um, but eventually, I mean, he ran out of time and the season ended and he got kind of recruited over. Um, you know, Cal was recruiting Clark and Boston at his same position. And at that point, you know, just as a personal decision to, to give yourself the best chance, you got to go. Um, so he went and then it worked out wonderfully for him um, because he, you know, continued to develop that offensive game. And he also got the freedom. Uh, there's, there's not a lot of freedom in, in Cal Perry's offensive system, unless you're the point guard. Um, the, the circle action that he usually runs um, with the two wings playing off whatever um, post big, whichever side they're coming off of. Um, it's usually incredibly simple reads, not a lot of isolation scoring um, until the point guard figures out how to dribble drive. And then that unlocks some more complicated sets, but nothing too hard. And definitely not a lot of creation from that, that wing spot that Juzang plays. Um, so he didn't really get the wiggle room as an offensive player, didn't figure it out in time. Um, had he stuck it out for a while longer, I mean, he just would have been buried in the rotation as Cal tried to feverishly develop Boston and Clark. Yep. Um, so it was definitely the best decision for him. And I mean, it, it just took him more time. So I'm, I'm really happy to see him flourish in, in LA. Were you shocked that he did some of the things he did at, at UCLA? Um, so I didn't, so I'm, I'm in an East coaster like you, so I didn't stay up for, you know, all of UCLA's games. Also Pac-12 basketball sometimes is a, a tough, a tough ask, but definitely come tournament time, you know, as, as I'm watching all of those games is, you know, every March madness fan knows the first weekend, you're just madly flipping through games on all the commercials. Um, UCLA's were, were a lot of fun and, and watching him. I mean, I I found myself asking a couple of times, you know, where was this player? Where was this player? But eventually, I mean, you just have to accept that it, it took him a little bit and it, and it took him getting some wiggle room that he just wasn't going to get in Lexington. And that's fine. It's a, a difference of style, essentially, at the end of the day. Um, and just some more development time that Juzang needed. So I'm I'm glad he got that wiggle room because there were definitely times in Kentucky where he showed that that there's something real there so that's I'm, I'm incredibly happy to to see him ball I know a lot of Kentucky fans are not and they're looking for somebody to blame um but no <laughs> yeah and, and sometimes you just need a change of scenery again we're dealing with young athletes and all four of these guys that we've talked about like like Ju Zhang's obviously the oldest among them all but he's only 20 years old and all, all three of these other Kentucky guys are 19 too. So it's, it's like they're, they're, they're babies. They're fresh out of high school. Their bodies still need to mature. It's some, some, some more than others, but their, their games also need to mature as well. And, and the situations that they come into um, and how, how high level of, of the game they're exposed to 
um, before they step on a college campus versus what they have to deal with and, and ultimately find themselves in when they get there. Like that can be challenging for a lot of players, just stepping into a brand new job or a brand new role with, with different responsibilities that overwhelm them at times. Like it happens to all of us. And, and that's why I try not to be too hard on a lot of these prospects when I'm evaluating them, because I, I, I look at my own life. I've certainly had to overcome different struggles and in, in, in some of my professions that I found myself in. Chase, I'm sure that you've overcame some some things in your life as well that just needed time for you to be able to adjust and and get a hold of. And and our producer Kevin as well. Um, he's had things in his own life that he's had to overcome. So that that that's just a, a fact of life. It's something that we all deal with. And a, a lot of these Kentucky guys and one UCLA recruit. Um, they, they still have bright futures ahead of them and, and nothing has shocked me about evaluating them or breaking down different parts of their game because I think that they all have promise of their own right and I think that they're all going to get there and be productive NBA players one way or another. I don't see any of these guys busting out by any means. They're each going to have their own niches and, and that's just how I see the situation playing out and that's why I was so happy to talk about some of these guys and this was definitely a fun podcast, but before we go, Chase, I have a Kentucky person here. And last week on the podcast, we approached a, a little bit of a touchy subject regarding players going to Michigan State and not improving as basketball players under Tom Izzo, at least when they're only there for like a year or two, maybe becoming better people, better men, because Izzo's one hell of a leader in his own right. And Calipari that same way, but you watch some of these prospects come into Kentucky and it's like they don't necessarily get better when they leave or they had talents that we didn't even know that they had and they weren't able to, to be showcased in the ways that they should have been while they were playing at Kentucky. So this has been another hot button topic. Like if these guys are, are coming into Kentucky and they're not able to do ultimately what they're best at or showcase some of those other talents, why go to Kentucky at all? Um, and, and I don't know how you feel about that regarding, you know, being, being close enough to the program and being a follower of the program as you are, Chase. What, what is your opinion on kind of that whole hot button topic regarding Kentucky basketball and people coming into some of these programs like a Duke or a Kentucky or a Michigan State being there for a year, not necessarily improving as basketball players and, and kind of finding a way into the NBA that was different from how they might have perceived themselves when, when they were first stepping foot on campus? I think the main issue I have with it is that people – evaluate one and dones with a broad stroke of they were there for one year and they left. Um, some of them don't improve. Some of them were probably ready for the NBA when they came in. Sam Williamson did not need to play a year at Duke. Um, <laughs> RJ Barrett probably didn't need to play a year. Maybe he got a little better. I don't know. But guys like that, they didn't need the year. Guys like Shea Gilgis-Alexander needed the year. Um, guys like PJ Washington needed the two years. Guys like Tyler Hero needed the year. Because there were a lot of issues that had to get ironed out. And just from my perspective, watching it happen, kind of this day in, day out. And, and um, I don't know how much you know about the Kentucky basketball season, but there's a, a point in the winter with the, uh, the notorious Camp Cal um, where they do two-a-days for weeks. Um, kind of <laughs> Sounds from... like Cal. Sounds like him. 
kind of from the start of winter break, once those classes let out uh, at the end of the first semester, Camp Cal starts that week. Um, and that's why you see in January, February, these guys making these massive leaps on both ends of the floor. Um, these teams just magically in sync all of a sudden. That's uh, because they have like 20, 25 practices um, in the span of three, four weeks. Um, and so I think assuming that they're not getting better because the team looks the same kind of disregards the fact that if you dropped these freshman led teams and you kind of saw it this year, it's kind of a, a big banner for why these teams matter. Um, the, all these freshman led teams this year, they didn't get that normal buildup of the exhibition games in Kentucky's case. Their one veteran was hurt the first half of the year. And so they really suffered for it and they paid for it with a horrible, horrible season. Um, so that development time from the time they step on campus to the time they go to the NBA draft, it's all, you know, at least in Kentucky's case, I can say that they become better basketball players in a hurry. Someone like PJ Washington, absolutely night and day from when he first, when he first got to Kentucky, I don't, I wouldn't have trusted him to make a shot outside of eight, eight feet. Uh, and then by the end of the, his time at Kentucky, he was bombing threes and had a, a nasty right hook kind of a little bit shorter than the elbow. Um, and so I think painting these schools with a broad brush of these don't help kids or these do help kids kind of disregards the fact that you're talking about a lot of different kids. Um, so I, I think they're helpful. And, but I also think they're unnecessary for some kids. I would like to see them be able to jump straight to the NBA. If, if, you know, these teams tell them, Hey, like you're, you're ready. You're good. You don't need it. I, I would like to see them have the option to just go. I don't disagree with anything that you just said, Chase. And I will certainly give you the argument uh, of PJ Washington, because when I evaluated him his first year at Kentucky, I didn't know what the hell he was as a basketball player. Like I, I would consistently talk to multiple people um, when, when, when I was working at, at EV hoops, the, the scouting firm at the time. And I just turn, I'd be like, you know what he is? Do you know what he's going to be in the NBA? Cause I sure as hell don't. <laughs> so uh, he definitely needed a little bit more seasoning and a little bit more rounding out to, to his overall game. And, and you see that benefit of him has staying that extra year in school. Now he's an impact player for the Charlotte Hornets stepping up, playing, I, I guess what some people would deem as out of position from the four to the five, although I actually thought that that was a positive change and something that needed to happen before the season. And lo and behold, those Hornets lineups, we, we've had Witch Carolina point this out uh, multiple times on, on Twitter, Lee Branscombe. He was on this podcast talking about Washington's impact for, for the Hornets. And, and when he's at the five in some of those quote-unquote smaller ball lineups, those, those lineups are blowing other teams off the floor. And it just goes to show that if you take the time and, and you're willing to be coached and put in the effort to improve other parts of your game, it can really do wonders for you once you hit the league and you have to make an impact when you're asked to do things that you potentially weren't asked to do before. Well, in that second year at Kentucky, he had a lot more big men responsibilities on defense than I'd say he had his freshman year. And now that's paying dividends in the NBA. So yeah, I, I wasn't going to argue to begin with regarding Cal as a coach and, and Cal as a de development um, coach. I, I think he does an excellent job for Kentucky and I, I really can't see another coach 
take over that program. I know we just had Roy Williams retire um, and, and and step down from the North Carolina job. You oh, I have candidates. I have candidates. Do you have candidates? I'd <laughs> I love do. to hear them. Uh, I think because we are starting to look, you know, as people get more restless with Cal, we are, you know, a lot of people have started looking towards the end. Um, I really, really like, and this would be a, a wonderful narrative tale, um, but I, I imagine Mark Pope is in uh, Mitch Barnhart's address book um, for guys to call if Cal hangs it up over at BYU, who gave Gonzaga a hell of a time in their mm-hmm. conference tournament. Uh, and then uh, I can also see them poaching uh, Nate Oates from Alabama, though I imagine he's on everybody's short list um, because he has done an incredible job with that team. Well, I guess if we're talking about potential candidates, if, you know, so somebody got a little too wide-eyed with Cal, they just wanted to make a change, like, yeah, Nate Oates would, would be a great name because he he's clearly had the recruiting power down at Alabama and you need to be able to be a top shelf recruiter if you're taking that Kentucky job. So yeah, that if we're just going to list off candidates, I guess he'd probably be my my top choice from guys who I think are candidates. But yeah, that the Pope, that BYU coach, he he's done an excellent job with that program too. And there there weren't many teams this year that that gave the Gonzaga fits at different points altogether. And and being one of those teams, especially in like the second time that they met this season. That that was one incredible game, and and yeah, he he absolutely should be a candidate for for any high profile job, not not even just Kentucky. So, with that being and I was said, able, so I was able actually. I don't mean to cut you off. So one of the reasons, because I do want to, you know, wax poetic about Mark Pope here for a second. So I I had gotten the chance to uh, interview him while he was at Utah Valley for a podcast before um, they had played Kentucky, you know. Nice as can be, you know, was talking about how they expected to play hard and stuff, kind of the, the same things you hear, you know, from every coach that walks up, you know, after the game, after they get beat by 10, 12 or whatever, to these superstar freshmen, just kind of shrug their shoulders and go, it's Kentucky. <laughs> Mark Pope, <laughs> he, after the game, so he used to play at Kentucky, obviously, um, had a cup of coffee in the NBA there for a second. Um he comes up to the microphone after Utah Valley loses by Kentucky in the normal preseason. We're going to beat up this mid-major for a second to teach our kids how to play. He comes up to the microphone legitimately upset. And he he stops everybody for a second. He goes, hold on. You're going to have to give me a second. I have not lost in, a lot in this building, and I really don't like it. Uh, and so for that level of, of passion for it, it was a pretty insignificant game in Utah Valley season, um, considering that the expectation, I mean, they were not expected to do anything and they held pretty tough, but for him to be that legitimately upset about the fact that they lost, I, I became a Mark Pope fan immediately. I love that guy. You can always cut me off for a coaching story, my friend. That, that's, that's what you do best. That is reporter chase coming out full front and center on this podcast. And I love every second of it. And I've certainly enjoyed having you on this week, talking about Kentucky players and and prospects and, and just the program in general, being able to give your insider thoughts 
and, and your knowledge from from someone who's definitely paid attention to the program pretty much all of his life, as you said. So thank you so much, um, Chase. Where can people find you on social media? Because you're not, you're certainly not a nobody. You are a reporter. Where can people yes. see you just talk about absolute random shit sometimes or potential sports opinions? So my my news Twitter is uh, at uh, Chasey underscore TV. I'm a reporter uh, down in, in Sarasota, Florida. Um, just general assignment news. But if you want to get my actual sports takes, um, join the overstated group. I mean, I'm I'm posting there all the time. It's it's a ton of fun. Um, you know, on on Facebook, we it's a it's probably the best center for just well-rounded analysis, jokes, all of it. I, I think some of the, the smartest minds I've ever come across are in that group. So so definitely, that's that's where you can find me talking sports. Yeah, and if you ever needed any more places to talk to either Chase or I live in real time, the that group Brett's been hosting um, Zoom chats every Friday night, where we literally <laughs> just sit there and engage in pure debauchery and just talk about basketball there are dogs there every time everyone pulls out their dogs including me um it's a it's a wonderful time half the people are wearing basketball jerseys just kind of like lax showing them off to people it's great we find derek or steve passed out at at random points to the zoom (laughs) call like it's it's a great time i couldn't be happier to be a part of a group like that um and and for my audience out there if if you didn't subscribe to the overstated nba show when we had those boys on please do it they are awesome i just listened to their show the the this past week that they did where they talked about contenders or pretenders with with, with a lot of the better nba teams in the league as well as just their general knowledge and, and their coverage about the league as a whole please subscribe to their show it, it is fantastic content. I promise you won't be disappointed. Chase would guarantee you wouldn't be disappointed. Um, and, and join the group so that you can talk about hoops at the most random times of night, like, like we do all the time. So that's going to wrap it up for this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Draft Deeper Podcast. Again, if you don't follow us on social media, you're doing yourself a disservice. I'm always engaging the community. I love talking to you guys. I love getting your scouting takes because they, they help at times sharpen my scouting takes and everybody just learns something and we all get better at doing this as a collective, right? So follow us on Twitter at Draft Deeper, like our Facebook page, subscribe to this podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, subscribe to our YouTube channel and, and keep on the lookout. Like I said, more scouting reports are coming this week. I promise hopefully a few more are up by the time you listen to this show. And thank you again, everyone, for tuning in. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.